Well, it is indeed a privilege for us to uh, be with you again this morning. Uh, the last time we were here, it was the morning after, the morning after the uh, the uh, Herman Hawk victory over the Trojans. And I will just say again, it was it was a it was a well fought Herman. Herman became what they were in preparation for the for the Trojans. Uh, but anyway. You know, I had a gentleman ask me yesterday, what is it that I like about preaching? And I, he kind of caught me off guard. I was like, okay, um, let me think about this a minute. But I was, and what I told him was that the one thing I like about preaching is the studying. I like the studying. I like the mining of, of nuggets from God's word of the gospel. The mining of the gospel from God's word in in places, and we're going to see some of these things this morning that were a surprise to me. Maybe they won't be to you. I pray that uh, maybe you've already discovered these things, but uh, uh, they were wonderful. You know, I at uh, the conference yesterday, Blake was one of our one of our uh, guest speakers at the con. Well, the speaker at the conference, not a guest. <laughs> uh, Blake was talking about the gospel. And he was talking about the centrality of the pulpit, the centrality of the pulpit to the health of a church. And he would even he even confessed to us that, you know, even he forgets the gospel in between sermons. Now, that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but I would dare say that in my own experience, I have experienced that as well, that you know, I can walk out of here after after having expounded God's word and at the first traffic light or at the first stop sign, I can forget the gospel. It happens. You know, uh, there's a there was a movie that was put out. Oh, I don't I can't even remember now. It's probably at least 20 years ago. The Notebook. Now, this is a great movie for guys to watch with their wives and, and you should do that. And the one reason you should do that is because this movie preaches. The movie preaches. You know, we can see ourselves in this movie. Because we're the ones, we're the ones that have forgotten the story. We're the ones that need to have the story told to us over and over and over and over again. You know, we're like the, we're like the lady with dementia who her husband faithfully comes and reads, reads from the storybook of their life. And once in a great while, the light comes on and she gets it. That's us, brothers and sisters. That's what we do. So what is a good life? You know, what would be a good life? You know, the story of the notebook was, was talking about this fantastic life that this couple had shared and, and uh, right up until the point where, you know, she had to be put into a rest home and, and for a, in a dementia unit. But what is a good life? What, what would constitute a good life? You know, the philosophers have had different things that they thought about. You know, what is a good life? One philosopher would say, well... Living a happy life, doing whatever it may, takes to make you happy. 
Another philosopher said, well, it's yes, it's happiness, but yet it's also being good. It's doing good things, being being a philanthropist, being being one who gives back to the community and and, uh, you know, makes the community proud to have that citizen being one that's known for giving. But what is a good life? What kind of a life could we live and say that was a good life? What kind of a life, more importantly, can we live and have God say, well done? Thou good and faithful servant. Turn with with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32, and we'll read through the entire passage. It's only 11 verses, don't be scared. Hear the word of God. How happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. How happy is the man the Lord does not charge with sin and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you took away the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you at a time when you may be found. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with with joyful shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and show you the way the way to go with my eye on you. I will give you counsel. Do not be like the horse or a mule with no understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else they won't come near to you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let us pray. Lord, this is your word, and I dare not depart from it. Lord, teach us this morning. Lord, teach me, even in the words that come out of my mouth, how to live this blessed life. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The message of this passage, right up front, the bottom line, is that those who know the joy and comfort and grace of grace are blessed. You want to know how to live a happy life? You live in the joy and comfort of grace. Confident living out of this blessed life. Live in the comfort of grace. How do we do that? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that there are, in this passage, at least, probably more, but at least four different ways, uh, four different things that we must know. Not four different ways, but four different things that we must know in order to live the life of grace. We must know four things. We must know, number one, the need for covering. Number two, 
false covering. What are the ways in which we, we, we have a need for covering, but what are the ways in which we try to cover ourselves? And then the true way of covering, the way of covering, the need for covering, false covering, the way of covering, and then finally, number four, the basis of covering. How do we know that we're going to be covered? Well, let's start off with the need for covering, verses uh, one through four. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. We need to be covered first and foremost because we're naked. These words that uh, the, the writer of David speaks to us, He's talking about transgression, sin, iniquity, deceit. These are all ways, different aspects of sin and shame and guilt and reasons that we need to be covered. Transgressions, basically talking about a crime, a criminal action, lawlessness, rebellion, a contesting of ownership. We hear this a lot these days. You know, it's my life. I'll live it the way I want to. But you know, this is not new. This rebellion, this, this, this um, contesting of ownership is not new. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, <laughs> Satan says to Adam, or to Adam and Eve, he says, did God really say? Oh, come on. Did he really say that you can't eat of that tree? Or the, of any tree in the garden, and then he twists God's words and, and creates a rebellion in the heart. Sin. What is sin? Sin is a departure from the standard, a missing the mark. It's almost an arch, it's like an archery term where you miss the bullseye. It's infidelity, a departure from the covenant. You know, in Babylon, in, in Scripture, is, is pictured as, as a prostitute, as one who is unfaithful. Sin is also described in, Gen in, uh, excuse me, in Romans chapter 7 as a destructive power. Sin is powerful. It's a powerful force in our hearts. Iniquity. What is iniquity? It's guilt caused by sin, an offense against God. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute. There is, such, there is a, such a thing as false guilt. But there's also true guilt, and we need to be able to know the difference. We're going to talk about that in a minute. True guilt is against you and you only have I sinned. True guilt is a... We have a standard, and we have deviated from the standard. And it's not necessarily a guilty feeling. Deceit. What is deceit? Treachery. Fraud. Deceit is, is a lying, is a lack of integrity, something that fails the one who trusts in it. You know, if you have... Down in the deep south, we don't have too much problem with this up here. We have rot and, and things like that that goes on in our wood structures. But in the deep south, you have things called termites, and they like to eat wood. But they leave the painted side of the wood alone generally, and they just eat from the inside. And you go to step on the deck, and you fall right through it. 
It's treachery. It's deceit. It's a false advertisement. So we need to be covered because we're naked. John Calvin said, Whoever examines not himself as in the presence of God and shuns his judgment, either shrouds himself in darkness or covers himself with leaves and deals deceitfully both with himself and with God. And he goes on to say, even saints labor under this disease. Even we, even we who were bought with the blood of Christ, still have the remnants of this disease within us. And we must constantly battle against it. We must constantly be at war with this power that's within us. We need to be covered. Have you come to the place in your life where you realize by the illumination and conviction of God's word and by his spirit that your sin and guilt are deeper than you ever ever thought they were? Have you thought that you had a victory over some sin or maybe a group of sins only to find their ugly heads rearing again with a vengeance? Brothers and sisters, everyone feels this need to hide. True guilty feelings and even false ones create a need for us in us to, how do they say it, put your best foot forward? To smile even when you're frowning on the inside? And when we, you know, and it's not just, it's not just, it's not just inside of us. It's also our our concern about our outside. Look at, look at what you do when you go shopping for a swimsuit. When you go shopping for swimwear, when you go shopping for a suit, when you go shopping for anything, what do we try to do? Those of us who are, you know, we like not to put away, push away from the dinner table quite like we should. We try to hide our fat, don't we? We're ashamed of ourselves. We're ashamed of our bodies. Doesn't that kind of harken back to the Garden of Eden too? You know, they were naked and unafraid, living in the presence of God, fully exposed to, to God's light. And yet when sin came, It wasn't enough to cover with fig leaves. They had to go hide in the bushes too. The need to hide is more than just psychological. And when we see our imperfections, we we go to great lengths to cover up or to go to the gym. We have this incessant primordial need to hide our shame, both physically and psychologically. So, how do we get covered? Well, there's a false covering. Before I get there, let me go back to the guilt. Okay? There is such a thing as true guilt and false guilt, and I want to make this very clear. True guilt is a violation. We can truly trust our guilty feelings when we have violated God's law. When we have violated a standard that God has set before us as this is what you should do, this is what you should not do. And we're created to need this standard. We, 
obviously cannot live without a standard. We have to have it. We have to have rules. We have to have laws that prevent us from doing things. We're created to need a standard. So, how do we, how do we cover ourselves when we find that we are guilty? When we find that we are, there is something within us or without of us, outside of us, that we need to be ashamed of? How do we, how do we cover ourselves? Well, David talks about a couple of different words in verses three and four. He says, when I kept silent, David here is speaking from his own experience and described what it was like to hide his guilt. And back, I think it was the January time frame, you guys were going through Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15:6, and Pastor Blake made mention of David and Bathsheba, the crimes for which sacrifices could be made. You know, adultery. There was a sacrifice that could be made for adultery. But David knew that there was absolutely, positively no sacrifice that could be made for murder. And David describes trying to be silent and trying to hide that sin. But on the inside, he was groaning, crying out, the roaring of a lion. The human cry of distress is especially especially here at the heavy hand of God, the conviction of sin upon his life. Under the guilt of murder and its judicial consequences, death, I can only imagine, David felt that when Nathan, the prophet, came to him and says, you are the man. How he must have felt. You know, and it's not just murder, the... I remember two gentlemen that I was when I was deployed as a chaplain to Iraq. There were two different gentlemen who um, were part of a particular incident on January 20th, 2007, when our uh, one of our helicopters went down, having been shot down by an RPG. Billy Ray doesn't know this, but. Um, I saw the video of him in the second chalk circling the downed aircraft and shooting at the enemy. And later on, later on, he, he was one of the ones that came to me later and said, Chaplain, how do I have my sins forgiven? Well, of course, my counsel to him was, you were, number one, I I don't consider what you did sin. You were acting within full accord with, with the laws of war and you were, you were acting in defense of your unit. You hardly sinned. But yet at the same time, the fact that he knows for a fact that the bullets that left his, his M249 left the enemy dead. He knows that. And then there was another guy in the same incident who was out on the ground. His, his helicopter had landed and they were taking fire extinguishers, Purple K fire extinguishers, and trying to put out the, the blaze of this fire. And he comes to me also and says, Chaplain, how do I have my sins forgiven? What must I do to be saved? 
It's a guilt. It's a, and how do we cover that? Well, David also says that while he was groaning and trying to cover himself up, he, he was wasting away on the inside. It literally, he's becoming old and worn out. I had read, and I, I have not been able to locate my copy of J. Adams, Competent to Counsel, but in his study and in his, in his striving to bring counseling back to the church, J. Adams said, you know, he says, I wonder how many of our institutions are full of folks who can't deal with the guilt of their sin. Now, I understand, and so does Dr. Adams, I believe he does now, uh, understand that there are some things that you need to be medicated for. There are some diseases that our bodies have because we're broken and, our, and, and we're in a sinful world, and it's not because of sin, it's because you know, our DNA is broken. Isn't that a surprise? We live in a sinful world and our DNA is broken. Sometimes we need medication, but sometimes, sometimes it's the effect of our sin that causes us to go crazy when we don't know how to handle it. We don't know what to do. So what are some of the ways in which people try to cover themselves? It's natural for us to try to fix our own mistakes, isn't it? Who's ever tried that? Yeah, yeah, me. I've tried to fix my own mistakes. How do we do this? Well, we blame shift. It's not my fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. What did Adam say? It's the woman you gave me. She made me do it. Sometimes we try to define it away. Well, it really wasn't that bad. You know, just last, just last night, I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of this. I, we were parking at the Bear Brew Pub up in uh, Orono. We were trying to, it's a big parking lot. There's Pat's Pizza, and if any of you guys have ever been up to Orono. Big parking lot, it was full. It was Saturday night. What do you expect? It was full. And so I have often seen people parking, like right, right beside Pat's Pizza, right next to a parking spot. See, it happened all the time. So what did I do? I did it. And how shocked was I when I came out and found that I had a parking ticket. <laughs> a parking ticket on my windshield. I was indignant, actually. It's like, it wasn't that bad. Come on. I've seen all kinds of cars out here parked. We define it away. Or we medicate. Drunkenness, drugs, pleasurable things to take away the pain. We criticize. We gossip. We run others down. Expose the wrongs of others to make ourselves look better. Or maybe we're driven to overachievement. Being driven to succeed at all costs. Or maybe we give generously. Some folks get their names put on a building or a wing of a hospital to cover. Or maybe we try to do penance. We beat ourselves up. Or, God forbid, we even, some, some folks resort to suicide. All of these things are little more than fig leaves to cover the nakedness that we have before God and before the world. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it's not enough. How much penance do you have to do? How many good things will outdo your bad? 
How many attaboys will take care of an oh goodness what happened? Well, we need to be covered. We can't cover ourselves. Yeah, and I want you to notice, take a look at verses 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose, transgress, whose transgression what is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Does that sound like something they do to themselves? No. No. Brothers and sisters, you can't. You, you don't have the authority to forgive yourself. You need to be forgiven. You need to be covered by one who does have the authority. The way of covering. We need to be covered. There's a wrong way, but there's also there is a right way, and it's it's a paradox. It's it's it does not seem right to us that we should get ourselves uncovered in God's presence so that he can cover us. This seems counterintuitive and how can I how can I hide or cover up or if I if I expose myself? Nobody wants to go to their boss and say, "Hey, look what I did. I'm sorry." No. No. No, 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 no. We might lose our job, right? But the very one thing that we should do in God's presence is to be uncovered. You know, 1 John 1.9 has a, First John has a, a very interesting portion to it. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another and we're covered. We get covered by being exposed to the light. So, how does this work? Well, David talks about confessing. He says, I, and acknowledging. He says, I acknowledge my transgression to the Lord and my iniquity I didn't hide. I said, I will confess. This, this word is literally to throw or to cast upon or to cast in. The word is also used to express the giving of thanks or praise. Whoa, what? What's, what? Praise? Give thanks? Yeah, really is. So it's not the exact, uh, this, this word isn't used exactly, but Joshua 7, verse 19, where Joshua, Joshua was talking to Achan after, after he had been discovered to be the one to be unfaithful to God and at Jericho, and the reason for which Israel lost at Ai. He, it's a very interesting thing, and you can take some time and look it up later, but Joshua chapter 7, this is what Joshua says to Achan. He says, My son, give glory to God and tell me what you've done. Brothers and sisters, that has implications for us. And one of the main implications for us here is that there is no such thing as praise and glory to God in this life that doesn't involve the confession of sin. Much of what we 
Well, I wouldn't say much. It's getting better, I think. But a lot of the music, even Christian music that we hear, has little to do with the confession of sin. Confession of our unworthiness. Now, it's getting better. It's getting better. I'm hearing a lot more artists that are, that are, you know, that are acknowledging their need for sin, or their need for Christ, and in, in acknowledging the wickedness of their sin in their music. It's getting better. My son, give glory to God and give him praise and tell me now what you have done. These are the words of Joshua to Achan. True worship must in this life involve confession of sin. And, and notice what happened. David said, I acknowledged my sin. I confessed it. This is our active part. Our active part is not the hiding, is not forgiving ourselves. The active part is the confession, is the becoming exposed before God. That is our part. That is the part we play and the only part. Being forgiven is, is passive. It's passive in this passage and it's passive in, in, in how we apply it to ourselves. Being forgiven is something we get by exposing ourselves to God. In order to be saved from the wrath of God, we must run to him. Instead of running from God and hiding in the bushes and covering ourselves with fig leaves, instead of being silent, we confess. Instead of hiding, we acknowledge. And we are free to do this because we can trust the goodness of God. R.C. Sproul said in A Taste of Heaven, he said, a person or he wrote this in, in his book, a person who trusts God, trusts not only his promises, but also his judgment. Even a prayer of contrition, such as a person, such a person acknowledges, one who prays a prayer of contrition, acknowledges that God would be absolutely justified to destroy him for his sin. When we confess and we acknowledge our sin, what is it that we find? Huh. We find our ultimate hiding place. In the Hebrew of, this, of the passage here, the language, it's, it's, a, it's an emphasis. And Hebrew language is very sparse in its details. So when it, when it emphasizes something, we need to pay attention to it. And I'll tell you what's emphasized in this verse. Verse, uh, verse 5 and verse 7 is you talking to God. He was talking to God saying, you are my hiding place. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. You are my place of refuge. You are my covering, my protection. The Psalms are full of descriptions of God as our hiding place. I'll just give you a few here. Psalm 27, verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Psalm 31, verse 20. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Psalm 91, the soldier's psalm. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Brothers and sisters, the surprising thing here 
is at the very place of judgment, the throne room of God, the courtroom of God, where God sits as judge. The holy of holies, the secret place of God's tent, is the place of ultimate protection. The very one whose wrath is to be feared is the one that we must run to in order to find mercy. And contrary to popular opinion, we can't, we can't forgive ourselves. It's only the judge that can acquit us. Only the judge can say, not guilty. The fine's already been paid. Brothers and sisters, we need to be covered. We can't do this ourselves. It's a theme from the first pages of Scripture. When, when Adam and Eve became exposed before God, it is God himself who made the coverings of, of animal skins for them. We, the way to find covering is to expose ourselves in God's presence and abandoning all hope of being able to cover ourselves and to trust him. But how do we know? How do we know that he's going to do this? How do we know that the righteous judge will acquit us? (laughs) We know this because of verse 10 tells us about his steadfast love. How can we know? Because the same God who plucked a moon worshiper out of southern Iraq and made a one-sided promise to him is the same God who has promised to forgive us and cover us. Paul in Romans chapter 4 refers both to this passage and to Genesis 15:6 as he proclaims that justification, being acquitted before God's throne, is through casting ourselves upon the mercy of God, trusting his promise to take our rightly deserved punishment upon himself. What does forgiveness mean? Forgiveness means to carry, to lift, to to carry away. God promised Abraham that he would take the guilt of Abraham and his descendants, covenant-breaking, the guilt of their covenant-breaking upon himself in order that Abraham and his descendants might ever know the blessing of God. Christ died for the ungodly in order to make them godly. How do we know? It's because of that promise of steadfast love. And the passage goes on in verse... uh, uh, I better look that up. I want to say it's verse 10. Psalm 32, verse 10. Therefore, the godly... No, it's not verse 10. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly... Pray to you in a time. Who are the godly? Are they the ones that did everything right? Are they the ones that have stopped sinning somehow? Are they the ones that have attained sinless perfection in this life? I don't know any, if that's true. And it's certainly not me. The godly, the, the nugget in this passage right here is that the godly ones are the ones who practice the ones who practice mercy, the ones who run to God for mercy and confess their sin. You see, godly and steadfast love have the same root word. It's the same root word, that steadfast love, that covenantal love that God promised to Abraham, that God promised 
through Moses so in, in the giving of the law and the sacrificial system, the forgiveness of sins that comes through the covering of blood, that same promise, that same, that same word describes the ones who are faithful to the covenant, the ones who run to God for mercy. The godly ones are those who abandon all hope of covering themselves, securing themselves, striving for a reputation, making a name for themselves, and that they trust fully in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, by faith. They pray to God. They're instructed by God. In all things, work together for their good and God's glory. And they're not farm animals. Did you notice that in there? Did you notice that? It said, do not be like the horse or the mule. (laughs) Don't be farm animals. Be German shepherds instead. Be German shepherds. What are you talking about? Well, I used to train dogs. I used to think I was the best in the world, but now I, I know I'm not. I used to train dogs and... The one thing that we did in training dogs, we'd offer reward and there would also be punishment. And the combination of both made a very happy dog. And what do I mean by that? When I would say, Rocky, come, he would come a running and he would put the brakes on just before he came right in front of me with his ears standing up going, what do you want me to do? When, 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 Rocky would be sleeping beside, beside my kids uh, as they were doing their homework and in in, in my, my wife would homeschool and my, somebody would go and jingle the harness, the tracking harness on the door. Rocky, what? It's time to go to work? The discipline, the, the, the promise of, of good things, he loved to chase his ball. That was a good thing for Rocky. He loved that more than food. And the discipline made for, made for a dog who loved me. He knew what he wanted. He knew what I didn't want. He loved me. And what is God telling us? He says, don't be like the horse or the mule. How does a horse or a mule act, especially a mule? Well, down in the south, we, we get to learn a little bit about that because there's a lot of folks that still have mules as pets. They're ornery. They only do what they're supposed to do when there's a force, when there's, when there's some consequence for not doing what they're supposed to do. And God's saying, don't be like that. When my Holy Spirit convicts you, he says, come running. Run for mercy. Don't be farm animals. Be German shepherds. Happiness is found in going to Christ for our covering. We can't do this ourselves. We must abandon all attempts to cover ourselves. We need to be covered. We can't cover ourselves. The way of covering is is exposing ourselves so that God can cover us. And we know that he will because of the promise of his steadfast love that he's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Would you do that today? Would you abandon your own attempts 
Would I abandon my own attempt at trying to be right before God, trying to be right before other people, trying to have a trying to have a good reputation at all costs and trust only in Christ alone? Let's pray. Oh, God, you are our only comfort in life and in death. And that comfort involves belonging body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for our sin and set us free from the misery of sin and death. And Lord, you've also promised that you would watch over us in such a way that not a hair could fall from our head without your knowledge, without you signing off on the memo. In fact, all things must work together for our salvation. Lord, thank you for this. Lord, we pray that in our own hearts that you would be working in us and that we would be reminded, that we would remind ourselves and remind one another daily of our need for grace, our need for the comfort of knowing that You've got our back because you promised. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done, all you're going to do. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.